Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Today, I have a special interview. It's actually an interview I conducted for another podcast that I host. Many of you are aware I host a show called the Digital Enterprise Society Podcast, and I had the opportunity to sit down with Kelly Charles Collins and talk on the topic of unconscious bias. And it's a great interview, and I knew that I had to share it here for the Making Waves audience. So before we get started, though, I want to thank a brand new sponsor who is joining Making Waves at Sea Level and making it all possible. I want to say a special thank you to Spectrum Reach. At Spectrum Reach, they know three things better than anyone. They know how to harness the power of multi-screen advertising, how to offer a simplified one-stop shop destination for marketing solutions, and they know what makes our towns and cities tick. They are the most trusted media partner in America. So go and visit SpectrumReach.com to get started today. Now, please enjoy this interview. Well, hello there. Guess what? It is time for another episode of the Digital Enterprise Society podcast. Thank you so much for coming along on the journey of this show that we started about a year and a half ago to be a resource for those who work in and around PLM, the Digital Enterprise Society. It is the forum for the exchange of ideas surrounding the tools, processes, and practices used across the product lifecycle. To learn more, visit digitalenterprisesociety.org. My name is Tom Singer, and I have the honor to co-host this show every single week. And usually I'm here with my co-host, Craig Brown, who is an industry veteran and a former PLM leader at General Motors. But today, today is one of those solo episodes where I get to interview someone really cool about things that are going to impact your company and your career. Craig will be back with me next week for more technical interviews. So every single week, Craig and I try to bring to this podcast really interesting interviews and other ideas that are gonna help all the listeners enhance and grow their careers. And today is one of those days. Today we're interviewing a friend of mine. I have known Kelly Charles Collins for, for a couple of months. I had the opportunity to interview her for another broadcast, for another, for a, another association. And she just blew me away. She is really open and honest about her topic. And it's something that in today's world, I think we all need to, to be aware of. So Kelly Charles Collins, she's an attorney, a speaker, an author, a consultant, and she is an expert on unconscious bias. And she works with organizations to ensure that they stay on the right side of hashtag movements. We're going to talk about unconscious bias. Now, some of you just took in a deep breath, like, oh my gosh, where is this going to go? Well, fasten your seatbelts because Kelly is awesome. Hey, Kelly, welcome to the Digital Enterprise Society podcast. Hey, Tom, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. And yes, buckle up. It's going to be a ride. <laughs> so I was, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and I said, oh, tomorrow I'm doing this interview on unconscious bias. And she like took in a deep breath and she said, where's that going to go? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> that's what we're going to that's what we're going to find out. That's how interviews work. Uh, so I'm really glad that, that you agreed to join us here. So just sort of starting off. 
How do you define unconscious bias? So unconscious bias are the snap judgments that we make about people, that we make about situations. Most often you think of them as stereotypes. So if you want to think of, you know, generally what is unconscious bias, think of the stereotypes that we make about people. Women can't drive, you know, Asian people are good at math. Um, you know, just all the, the, the generalizations that we make about people. So what happens is that we get all this information, we filter it, and it's based on what we hear, read, see, and experience. And so we start to create these categorizations for around people and situations. And then when we get stressed or, you know, we're um, in a time crunch or any number of things, our unconscious bias then filters that information and we make snap judgments. So is unconscious bias always bad? No, actually it's not, right? So unconscious bias, our unconscious bias helps us in some situations. So I say sometimes it protects us. Most often it probably betrays us. So when you think about your fight, flight, and freeze um, instincts, that's your unconscious bias helping you. So if you're walking in a dark parking lot and you start to hear feet, you know, footsteps behind you, you hear keys jingling or whatever, then your unconscious bias kicks in because we're trained that that's danger, right? Our unconscious bias is based on learned rules. And so we've been taught that when you hear sounds like that and you're alone and it's a dark parking lot, that's danger. And so either your, you know, your brain will kick in because it's your fast brain that's working. It will kick in and say, you need to fight, you need to flee, or you're going to freeze. And so in that respect, it does protect us. And so it helps us. However, most often what happens with our unconscious bias is that we, because we've made these generalizations about people, we filter information differently based on our experiences, then we make decisions based on that information. And if the information is not factual, which often it is not, then we can impact the lives of people in a negative way. Hmm. So when I think of unconscious bias, the first thing that comes to mind is, is racism. Are they the same thing? No. And, and you know, it's funny because when you said to that that woman and you said, you know, you're going to talk about unconscious bias, she's like, oh, how is that going to go? Well, she, liter- she literally even made a joke saying, Tom, you're a middle-aged white guy. Should you be doing this interview? And she was joking right. about it. But, but I thought maybe that's unconscious bias. Yeah. <laughs> right? But it's not the same thing. But it is one of the things that causes people to get defensive or be resistant to having the conversation because they think, oh, if you say I have unconscious bias, you're calling me a racist. Well, no, everybody has unconscious bias. That's just the nature of uh, living, right? We all have unconscious biases. It's different from racism. So unconscious bias is something that's intentional. The fast part of our brain, which is the amygdala, is what causes us to act on instinct and not analysis. When you're talking about racism, racism is an intentional act and it is leveraging power structures or power to marginalize, oppress, you know, denigrate a group of people. So it's a different thing. Now, what's really important to understand though is that whether I'm making a decision based on unconscious bias or making a decision based on some racist ideology, the impact is the same, right? So we have to be very mindful of that, that whether I intended to do it or I didn't intend to do it, you st- the impact to me is still the same. So if I'm 
you know, if we're playing around and I, you know, accidentally kick you and you fall down and you break your leg, I didn't intend for that to happen to you, right? But your leg is still broken. So the impact of my actions are still the same. So this podcast is is a career podcast. We try to give a lot of advice for people who work, you know, in 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 and around this manufacturing, uh, product lifecycle management software and, and and other digital enterprise tools. We try to give them ways to sort of grow their own careers and to help their companies be better. So let's take this to sort of a company and career conversation. Why in the world do we care in the workplace if if we're good people and we're trying hard and we're open minded? Why do we even care about what is unconscious bias? Because unconscious bias impacts everything that we do. So from when you talk about the employee career cycle or the, the life cycle of an employee, from recruiting all the way to separation, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, our biases come into play. So when you're talking about, you know, um, recruiting and sourcing, who are you looking at, right? Who are you bringing into your organizations? Who are you hiring? Is it based on some affinity that you want your organization? You want to hire people who are just like you? That's how we are. We like people who are just like us. But when that happens, when we start to look at what is, people have heard the term good fit. When you start to look at good fit, is good fit based on the fact that they look like you, speak like you, talk like you, went to the same school as you. So now we have a whole organization of you, right? That, right, this whole homogeneous um, um, workplace. And so it's very important for you to understand what your biases are, because if you are in that role where you have to decide who comes into the organization, those things come into play. Do you have a name bias, right? Do you have, if it's a panel of people who are interviewing someone, are you the kind that just goes along to get along? You don't want to upset anyone. So even though you don't agree that that person should be hired or you think that person should be hired, if everyone else says, no, 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 do you just give in? So you have to understand what those biases are. And then as you go throughout the career cycle, who is it that you are you know, inviting to those lunches where people, right, the people will be so that you can be seen, so that you can be heard, so that when other opportunities come up for mentoring, sponsoring, training, stretch assignments, that you can be in that conversation either because you have been invited to the table or because someone has seen you and so they will speak up for you when you're not in that room. So it's really important about how it is that we interact with each other within the organizations, too. So it's not just that you have to be at a management level. It's, you know, who's on the teams? Who are you, you know, inviting to lunch? Who are you, you know, who are you putting a bug in somebody's ear about whether or not you think this person is a quote unquote team player and how does that impact them going forward? So it's really important for us to understand that because, we do these things unconsciously, and thus it's called unconscious bias. But there is a, but we can watch patterns um, of our behavior to really become aware of how we act in certain such in certain situations or with certain people. So you bring up this thing of you know when people say, well, she or he, you know, they're a good fit. There's so much out there being taught about culture and how do you hire for culture. So aren't we supposed to be looking for a good fit? 
So it's not that you can't look for a good fit. So I always tell people that subjective good fit is the enemy of diversity and inclusion, right? So it's one thing to say, this is our company culture and have some objective standard about what that means and have some common understanding of what that means. But generally what happens when we're talking about good fit, it's what I believe is good fit, what you believe is good fit, what the other person believes it's good fit. It's very subjective. And so that's when our biases come into play, because for me, good fit may mean this is a person that outside of work, I would love to go hang out with them. Right. For you, good fit may be this is somebody who will just go along to get along. They seem like they're more passive, like they're more subservient. So you're like, yeah, because we don't need anybody coming in here upsetting, you know, what's going on with this good thing that we have going on here, right? So when, when it comes to the point where good fit is just subjective and it has nothing, there's, it's not tied to anything but what I think, that is the problem. When it's objective, so Zappos, um, the former retailer, their whole model was based on good fit and culture fit, but it worked because it was objective. They had objective standards and everybody knew what that meant. We were, they were all operating on the same definition. And so that's why it works. So yes, I mean, people always, you know, somebody's always hiring for a quote unquote culture, but what does that mean? So you said something that that stood out to me and and made me sort Mm -hmm. of perk up. And you said that is that uh, good fit can be the enemy of of diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a little bit more about that, because the studies that I've read all show that when you have diversity and inclusion, companies do better. So it's like companies succeed more when they have people of different ages, people of different races, people of different uh, ethnic. I'm sorry. uh, uh education levels, people, all these different things, companies tend to do better. And yet you're saying that when they're trying to look for that good fit, they're actually not achieving the diversity. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that subjective good fit, when you, when you start to rely on good fit from a subjective point of view, that is the enemy of diversity inclusion, because that is when our biases kick in and we end up with very homogeneous um, organizations and workforces, as opposed to having a an objective standard where everyone can say, yes, this is what our culture is, and bringing in diverse people who align with that culture. I Okay, thank you. I understand. So <laughs> let's talk about that. Then how do we get objective when it comes to these things? So think about what your culture is. Like, What, what do you mean when you say culture? Is it a culture that, you know, is teamwork-based? Right. So if you if if you have a culture that we work a lot in teams, right, we have projects and we work a lot in teams. When you're interviewing someone, ask them about times when when did you work on the team? You know, what do you think about that? There are people who really like to work alone. Right. And they don't like to work in a team. So if you're talking with this person during the interview and you realize they've never worked on a team, They've told you they don't like to work on teams. They like to work by themselves and you have a team environment. That's objectively not a good fit. Gotcha. Right. It's not that I would love to go out and have, you know, pizza with this person or, you know, I just don't like their hair color. I, I just, you know, the way that they dressed or whatever, that is a, that is an objective standard that you can then say, yeah, no, this is how we work. If you can't work within a team environment, then you're not a good fit. 
So how do we learn about our biases? I mean, we, we all have them. That's how you started off. How, how do we discover yeah. what bias, unconscious biases we have? So one is through training, right? We train you so that you understand, first, understanding what the different biases are. There's so many of them, but understanding what that is. Um, Another way to do that is self-reflection. Start looking backwards at decisions that you've made. So when you're talking about hiring or you're talking about promoting or you're talking about performance reviews, look back at how you've been doing that and see if you can identify patterns of behavior, whether it's related to race, gender, disability status, sexual, sexual orientation, religion, whatever it is, look at what you have been doing in your organization, especially if you're a leader. Another um, way to do it is to take the Harvard in, um, Implicit Association test, which you can test all types of different biases. It, um, it's called the IAT um, test. So that's another way to do it. And to really just start to slow down. So remember I was saying that your unconscious biases are um, triggered by your amygdala, which is your fast brain. To counter that, slow down. So use your slow brain, which is your um, prefrontal neocortex, all the science, right? I'm not a scientist. But, (laughs) But use your slow brain because when you use your slow brain, you are consciously thinking of things, right? The, what happens with your unconscious bias is that most often it is contrary to your conscious values because we don't take the time to think about it. Again, we're acting on instinct, not analysis. So slowing down will help you to really assess whether or not you would be, you're thinking consciously based on facts or am I acting on something that, you know, I'm filtering through whatever it is I've heard, read, seen, or experienced at some point in my in my life. So you have to really start to, um, it's really a lot of self-reflection, looking at your behavior, slowing down. What am I doing? Who's around me, right? So if you have, um, if you're not around diverse people, oftentimes you're, you're, you might be skewed in the way that you think about information. And so looking at your environment, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Are you looking at the context? Are you um, counter stereotyping? So if I have a stereotype about someone or a group of people, have I gone to look at someone else in that same group who is counter to what I think? Because that will help me to either decide, yes, my stereotype is, (laughs) is what I'm sticking with, or you know what, I was wrong about that. So when you work with companies and you have these conversations, mm-hmm. what what happens? What what happens with a group of people when they actually talk about this stuff? So some of them have aha moments. Some of them are um, still a little hesitant and um, defensive. Um, but for the most part, people are very open to it. One of the things that I think is so very important about these types of conversations is to know how to have them. Right. So when you're talking about things like unconscious bias, where you know that people are equating it with being called a racist or, you know, discriminating against them, there is a way to have these conversations. And it's it's to, to let people understand that, number one, we all have it, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. Right. But not to shame people, not to blame people. And so the way that I train is to ensure that there is a common respect and understanding that they understand that we're in a safe space. So when I'm talking to you and I'm asking you for examples or I'm giving you examples, 
I'm sharing things that I, you know, have happened to me or that I have done. You know, we all have bias. I still make mistakes. Right. And so um, what I have really found is that people have been very receptive um, to the training and have said to me, you know, I, I really didn't even think of that because all of a sudden one of those biases that I explained to them or, you know, now that they have a definition and they kind of see how it shows up, it's like, I have that one. Right. And so it, it's that process of, okay, acceptance, right? So there's one thing to be aware of it. It's another thing to accept it, have a willingness to change and then to change. There's a whole spectrum um, about disrupting unconscious bias. And so um, in those moments, obviously you can't eliminate bias. What you can do is disrupt it and course correct. And you have to keep doing that. It's a, a lifelong journey. Um, but yeah, I mean, people, I think the way that I, that I present it, I think people are really open to it because it's not about like you're a bad person. So in your experience, because you've been doing this a long time, in your experience, how have you seen individuals and companies change for the better? I mean, amazing things. Um, I've seen organizations change their policies. I've seen them. Um, I'm working with an organization now and they've, you know, created like videos around, you know, being more inclusive. They've put out policy statements. Um, people change their recruiting, how they do their recruiting. Um, you know, they switch to blind recruiting and they switch to structured interviews and having conversations around the issues and just being more mindful. And at, and at an individual level, which will impact the organization too, people just saying, yeah, I'm going to slow down, right? Something just as simple as, you know what? That's one thing I'm going to do. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to start you know, talking to people that I had not had a conversation with before. Those are the types of things. Um, and again, it's it's one of those things that it's really hard to measure the, the impact in the short term, right? You have to measure, you have to look at what happens in the long term in organizations. And again, so we were talking about culture. How does the culture shift, right? How does the culture in the organization shift from being one that is, more silent about these issues and more and and um, increases the accountability around these issues so when you feel that you're you know on the on the the the, the downside of someone having unconscious bias about you regardless of who you are how, how do you react how's the best way for a person to react when they know they're being judged it depends <laughs> That's the lawyer answer. It depends. it depends on the time and place. Right. So I had a situation where um, I had someone, uh, another lawyer who we were in a situation where there was no way that he should have confused me of being anything else but a lawyer. But he did. And he ended up calling me a secretary. And in that moment, I was like, secretary. Right. And everybody else was, you know, like in shock. And I thought I could have just interrupted everything that was going on and just been like, why did you call me a secretary? You know, I'm not a secretary. Right. And I let it I let that situation go. Um, and then my clients and, and everybody else were asking me why that happened. And I explained to them and I never had a conversation with him. But sometimes you have to um, address it in the moment. Right. Because it's just so egregious or it's just so out there or yeah, I, you know, if I don't address it now, I won't have time later. And other times you have to say, 
will that do more harm than good? And so you have to address it later, right? In a different situation, in a different space where there can be some understanding because what happens is if you go and then you're like attacking the person, you've lost any ability to create an understanding or to create a change in their thought process because now they're defending and justifying as opposed to being open to listening and learning. So Kelly, I want to shift gears just for a second because okay. one thing that I try to do when I meet somebody who has done a TEDx talk, and, and you and I both work as professional speakers, and, 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 and so we know a lot of people who have done this. One of the things I try to do when I meet somebody who's done a TEDx presentation, they're always short, right? They're 10 minutes, 20 minutes long tops. I always try to watch theirs. And, okay. and your TEDx, which is about the bystander effect, is really powerful and it sort of touches upon all of this that we're talking Mm -hmm. about. So can you talk to us about your message in the bystander effect TEDx talk that you did? Yeah. And it's really interesting because all of the things that I talk about, whether it's unconscious bias, bystander intervention or courageous conversations at the core, at the heart of all of it is accountability. So accountability for ourselves, accountability for others. And so with the bystander effect and and my TEDx, what I was trying to um, get across to people is that we have to stand up. We have to speak up. We have to act up, right? That we cannot be silent when we see things. Often what happens when you're talking about unconscious bias, it's really you you, um, experience microaggressions at work. Right. So, you know, where are you from? Oh, no, no. Where are you really from? Or, oh, you're going to take paternity. You know, you're going to take leave to go take care of the baby or why aren't you married yet? You know, these kinds of (laughs) this offhanded comments that we hear for people. And so they're very what we call like the small things. And when I when I discuss bystander intervention, I really harp on that of people understanding that we have to sweat the small stuff. We have to speak up when the small stuff happens because what we ignore festers. And so when we don't address the small stuff, the big stuff happens. Discrimination happens. Racism happens. Right. Um, George Floyd happens because we don't we don't pay attention to the smaller things. And so. In that silence around those issues, we have empowered the perpetrator to continue their behavior because they think, oh, they agree with it. So silence is complicity, right? So you agree with it or I, you are so afraid of me or the repercussions that you're going to let me do whatever I want. So there's power, right, in our silence, power for the other person, not for us. And so I think it's really important Um, that we intervene and to understand that intervene doesn't mean being the hero that saves the day. It just means being a hero every day. What what are the small things that you can do every day to, to interrupt patterns of behavior that are inappropriate? Because what I realized after watching, watching your talk is that we're all bystanders Mm -hmm. all the time. There are things happening around us and, and, and they're not as, as horrific as racism. But there's little things, there's little, you use the word microaggression, there's there's these little things that are happening that happen constantly. And I've been aware of that since I've watched your talk. And I wish I could say, and every single time I have stood up and said, hey, that's not appropriate. Yeah. 
that being well, said, you're not going to stand up all the time, but make that make that be your default, right? So our default has been silence. Our default has been that's not my business. I'm not getting involved. I'm afraid, right? We have to move beyond our fear, and our default has to be we need to intervene in some manner, right? Um, we have to care about each other. And I've tried, and like I said, I haven't done it every time. I've tried to be aware. I've tried to be aware. Mm-hmm. of when I'm a bystander to something and when I'm willing to go, uh-uh, and when I'm silent and try to, you know, again, this isn't life and death things, but it's like later I try to go back and say, I really should have said that so that next time I'm trying to program myself from it. So I, how do people do that? How do people become aware that they're bystanders? Yeah. Well, just just think about situations that you've seen. Are you the person that when you see something, you're going to like, you're going to say something or you're going to, you know, if you're driving on the highway and you see somebody pulled over, are you going to stop and help them? Or are you going to call, you know, if you see an accident, are you going to call the police? What is your natural reaction? In my TEDx, I talk about there being a spectrum from doing nothing to doing something. And we should never be on the do nothing side of it, right? So I had a friend who said, you know, um, after they saw my talk, they witnessed somebody, um, it looked like somebody was ODing. Um, overdosing. And there was a guy and they said, you know, usually I would have just walked by and just, you know, let that go. And he said, no, what I did was I stopped. I said, do you need help? The person said, yes. What they needed was for him to be able to call 911 so he could continue giving, helping to resuscitate the person. Right. So something as simple as that right? Okay, I'm just going to call 911 to allow you to do that. And when you think about, when I think about the spectrum, when we say we're all bystanders, yes, at some point we're all bystanders, right? But there's perpetrators, there's accomplices, there's bystanders, there's allies, there's advocates. You want to be on the ally advocate spectrum of it. You never want to really just be the person who's just there. And unless it affects you in some way, the question I always say is, what would you what would you want somebody to do if what would you want someone to do if it were you or somebody you loved and then do that right because if you want somebody to do that for you then you need to do that for someone else and there was one thing you said and i'm i'm going to start i'm not going to quote it because i'll mess it up but you said something about the opposite of action isn't yeah the opposite of action isn't an action it's indifference that's right I thought that was so powerful. The opposite of action is not inaction, it's indifference. It's indifference. That, that was powerful. So mm-hmm. Kelly, as we wrap this up, when someone's listening to this and, and they're in their car, they're, they're you know out for their, their walk and they're listening to the podcast and they're nodding about this whole topic of unconscious bias, what last piece of advice would you give to people in their workplace, in their career, heck, in their life? Mm-hmm. to care when we care about things we we do things to make sure that people are okay when we care about other people we're interested in how they feel and how things impact them and so i think just at a human level we have to get back to caring about each other well kelly charles collins thank you so much for being a guest here on the digital enterprise society podcast your website is Kelly Charles Collins, all spelled out, just kellycharlescollins.com. Uh, any other ways people can reach you? I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm Kelly Charles Collins, and on Twitter, I am at HR Law Attorney. 
at HR Law Attorney. All right, <laughs> Kelly, thank you for being here. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. You know what? Every single week, we try to bring thoughts, ideas, and information in and around product life cycle management and ideas that can help you in your career. And clearly today, I think we brought ideas that can help you in all aspects of your life. So remember, remember the Digital Enterprise Society, it is the place for the exchange of ideas around digital manufacturing tools. Go check us out right now at digitalenterprisesociety.org. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at tomsinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at tomsinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.